Good evening. An arrest in the shooting death of an 11-year-old in Brooklyn. The shooter who didn't know the victim is 15. A new president, Timor-Leste, pledges closer ties with China. Merrick Garland on hate crimes and Amber Heard's $7 million donation. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Friday, May 20th, 2022. A four-day search ended today with the arrest of a teen shooter for killing an innocent bystander, 11-year-old Kiara Tay in the Longwood section of the Bronx, and a fusillade of bullets fired from a motor scooter meant for a fleeing target who himself was 13 years old. Accused shooter Matthew Goodwin 15, Matthew Godwin, 15, was charged as an adult with murder, manslaughter, and weapons possession. Authorities say they're still pursuing the scooter driver, identified by police as Omar Boding, 18. NYPD Commissioner Keechan Sewell opened the news conference announcing the arrest, followed by the mayor and chief of detectives. Following the swift work of your NYPD detectives, we're here to announce an arrest in the absolutely senseless killing of Kiara Tay earlier this week in the Bronx. Taken into custody before 2 o'clock this morning was 15-year-old Matthew Godwin. He has been charged with her murder. You've seen the video. Mr. Godwin is the subject who pulled the trigger while riding on the back of the moped. Instead of hitting his intended target, however, he ended the life of a totally innocent, completely uninvolved 11-year-old girl. Let me say this to Kiara's parents, Yahisha and Zopini. The NYPD is far from finished. As I speak, your investigators are continuing to search for the criminal who was operating that moped. And I assure you, he too will be brought to justice. New Yorkers... The second suspect is 18-year-old Omar Bojang, also from the Bronx. And we will not stop until all of these violent criminals are off our streets and shootings and murders are no longer the top stories. Mayor Adams. There's no words that can express how we're feeling. Um, It's beyond anger. It's beyond frustration. It's clear betrayal. We are doing everything we're supposed to do as a police department. The numbers are just horrendous. Removing 2,887 guns off our streets since we've took office. Those numbers are just alarming to think about. But there's an endless flow. Police officers are realizing that as soon as they take them off, new guns are being produced and placed on our streets. Good afternoon, everybody. Jimmy Essig, Chief of Detectives. So on Monday, May 16th, at approximately 4.50 p.m., a 13-year-old male was being chased by two males on a scooter at Fox Street and East 165th Street in the Longwood section of the Bronx. The male attempted to gain entry to 1015 Fox Street, which is an assisted living facility. He was unable to gain entry and began to run southbound towards Westchester Avenue at which time one of the males on the scooter, who was in a rear passenger, discharged a firearm at him in the despicable daylight shooting. This reckless and irresponsible behavior resulted in an unattended, innocent 11-year-old being struck in the stomach by the stray bullet, causing her demise. At 1.30 a.m. this morning, members of the regional task force responded to 
a Hotel 95, located at 1275 Pugsley Avenue in the Bronx. There, they apprehended, without incident, the male who we believe is the shooter. With that, I'd like to turn it over to the Bronx District Attorney's Office. The tragedy here is that we're talking about a gunman who is too young to be called a gunman because he's 15 years old. A 15-year-old who possessed a gun, fired a gun on a busy street at 5 o'clock in the afternoon with no thought about his own human life or that of anybody else in the community. It's incomprehensible, but it's no longer incredible for what's happening to us in the Bronx. This year alone, we've had 25 children, 16 years or younger, arrested for possession of a gun. And we've had 24 17-year-olds arrested for gun possession. Kiara, unfortunately, was the second child in the Bronx killed by gunshot this year, also fired by a teen. We've had 16 children, 16 children, 16 years or younger that have been shot. 11 of them were under 15, and five of them were under 14. We have to focus on gun violence all the time and every time. So I'm asking the community, please, if you know something, say something. Give up, Mr. Bojang. To Mr. Bojang, turn yourself in because we are going to continue to look for you. Stray bullet that killed Kyara Tay traveled half a block, although police say the gun is yet to be recovered. They claim detectives using security cameras and eyewitnesses identified the alleged culprits. There is some involvement by the federal government. Uh, we've yet to really learn the role that the feds played in helping make this arrest. The teen suspect was in a room at the 95 Hotel in the Bronx with his mother when he was arrested without incident around 2 a.m., Police say the mother was attempting to evade her son's arrest. The intended target, four days ago, a 13-year-old boy. And in international news, Nobel Peace Prize laureate Jose Ramos Horta was inaugurated and sworn in early this morning as the president of Timor-Leste, making it the second time for him to lead Southeast Asia's youngest nation. In his speech, when taking the oath, he said he would put bilateral relationships with neighboring Indonesia and Australia as one of his top priorities. Horta, Ramos Horta also says he wants to strengthen and expand relations and trade cooperation with China. In this very troubling time in Europe, as a consequence of the war in Ukraine, I wish to express my solidarity with the European home the Europe that has a long history of solidarity and partnership with the countries of Africa, the Caribbean, and the Pacific. I salute President Emmanuel Macron of France for his courage and determination in pursuing dialogue with President Putin to end the war in Ukraine and to avoid the war that might still come. Peace will only be real and lasting when it is achieved through dialogue and mutual respect in which neither party feels coerced and humiliated. 
It is our intention to expand bilateral cooperation with China, especially in the areas of sustainable organic agriculture, small industries, trade, new technologies, renewable energy, connectivity, artificial intelligence, urban and rural infrastructure. The United States of America has continuously contributed to the construction, to the building of the state of Timor-Leste. It is my intention to continue to foster this special relationship. More specifically, I emphasize the importance of the Millennium Challenge Cooperation Program. And that is Jose Ramos Horta, the new president of Timor-Leste. His term goes to 2027. Ramos Horta, 72, is also known as one of Timor-Leste's founding fathers. His inauguration came on the celebration of Timor-Leste's Independence Day, May 20th. And Pakistan's newly appointed foreign minister, Bill Wall Bhutto Zadare, met U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken in New York on Wednesday. After the meeting, Bhutto Zadari took to Twitter to announce he had a very productive meeting with Blinken on issues impacting regional peace and security, including Afghanistan. The high-level engagement comes after a year-long turbulent phase in the relationship between the two countries, the United States and Pakistan. Former Prime Minister Imran Khan had an anti-U.S. outlook and criticized Washington's regional policies, causing tensions between the U.S. and Pakistan, which left Afghanistan last summer after a 20-year occupation and war. Khan's criticism of President Joe Biden's decision to freeze $7 billion in Afghan funds held in the United States and apparent refusal to offer military bases for counterterrorism operations in Afghanistan, among other developments, virtually brought the relationship to a standstill. Khan's government also refused to denounce Russia for the invasion of Ukraine. The relationship broke down further when Khan decided to visit Russia on the eve of Moscow's invasion of Ukraine. That was followed by a unusual and unprecedented vote in the parliament of Pakistan that led to the uh, withdrawal of Khan's ability to rule the government. That was an unusual and uh, singular event in Pakistan history. Bilwal Bhutto Zadari speaking on the new relationship he envisions with the United States. that Pakistan must continue to engage with the, United, with the United States at all levels. We believe that that's in the interest of both the people of Pakistan and the people of America. I believe the relationship between Pakistan and the United States in the past has been too colored by the events in Afghanistan, other geostrategical or geopolitical considerations and it's time for us to move beyond that to engage in a far broader more deeper and meaningful relationship there's a consensus in Pakistan that regardless of what we feel about the regime in Afghanistan about the history of Afghanistan that we can't allow the people of Afghanistan to feel that they've been abandoned yet again and a total collapse of the Afghan economy would be a disaster for the people of Afghanistan, disaster for the people of Pakistan, and disaster for the international community. And that is the newly appointed Prime Minister, or Foreign Minister, that is, Bilwal Bhutto Zadari of Pakistan. Uh, U.S. Secretary of State Blinken said that the meeting with Bhutto Zadari represented an important opportunity to talk about many issues of mutual interest. 
He says we want to focus on the work we're doing to strengthen economic and commercial ties between the United States and Pakistan, of course, focused on, focused on regional security. And President Joe Biden opened his trip to Asia today with a focus on the U.S. tech sector, touring a Samsung computer chip plant in South Korea that will serve as a model for a $17 billion semiconductor factory, the electronics company is building outside Austin, Texas. Biden will also visit Japan during his six-day stay in Asia. While the president focused today on economics with a message aimed largely at the U.S. audience, the actions and intentions of America's adversaries, China and North Korea, will loom large over the visit to the region. Pentagon spokesperson John Kirby addressed a question today about the U.S. reaction to North Korea advances in missile and nuclear technology. With every test they learn, um, what we need to make sure is that we are pro properly postured, that we have the right capabilities in the region to defend ourselves, to defend our interests, and defend our allies and partners. Five of our seven treaty alliances are in the Pacific. And that was John Kirby. North Korea faces the prospect of a humanitarian catastrophe amid its first officially confirmed coronavirus outbreak. Pyongyang is steadfastly refusing offers of international assistance. The United States and South Korea have not received a response to offers to help tackle the outbreak, including by sending aid. The World Health Organization, which is deeply concerned at the risk of further spread, and that's in quotes, said the country had not responded to requests for information about the outbreak. UNICEF said yesterday it had proposed a package of support that could help protect health workers and manage caseloads, but has not yet been able to contact contact his partners in the country. North Korea, whose dynastic leadership proclaims an official ideology of self-reliance known as Juche, has long been known for its secrecy and hostility towards the outside world, maybe having something to do with the Korean War, which killed millions of Koreans and was prosecuted by the United States in the early 1950s. Meanwhile, John Kirby at the Pentagon uh, asked, answered another question of interest. Uh, he tried to explain now that the Mariupol, the city on the coast of Ukraine on the Black Sea, has fallen to Russian control. Uh, what exactly is the extent of Russia's control of Ukraine? Literally, territory, uh, literally, is territory uh, is changing hands every single day. For instance, um, Two weeks ago, um, if you'd asked me about Luhan, uh, not Luhansk, um, uh, Kharkiv, while we never assessed that the Russians held Kharkiv, they were surrounding and circling Kharkiv. There was only a small corridor toward the, to the southeast of the city that the, the Ukrainians could continue to supply themselves through. And now uh, they have literally pushed the Russians well away from Kharkiv, all the way up to near the border um, um, uh, with, uh, with Belarus and with Russia, and, um, and then even to the east, well into uh, the northern Donbass region. They have pushed uh, the, the Russians out um, in the Donbass region. That was John Kirby. Attorney General Merrick Garland today announced new initiatives aimed at combating hate crimes days after 10 black people were killed in the Buffalo mass shooting, which authorities have described as racially motivated violent extremism. Garland unveiled the plan at an event marking the first anniversary of President Joe Biden signing into law of the COVID-19 Hate Crimes Act, which includes provisions from the Khalid Jabara Health Hire No Hate Act to boost reporting of such crimes and law enforcement training. The legislation was enacted to help combat the rise of hate crimes against Asian Americans during the pandemic. Merrick Garland speaking earlier today. In Buffalo, 10 people were killed 
Another three were injured. An entire community was terrorized. The Justice Department is investigating this as a hate crime and as an act of racially motivated violent extremism. We are deploying every resource we have to ensure accountability for this terrible attack, to pursue justice for the victims and their families, and to provide support to a grieving community. Last weekend's attack was a painful reminder of the singular impact that hate crimes have not only on individuals, but on entire communities. They bring immediate devastation. They inflict lasting fear. We will use every legal tool at our disposal to investigate and combat these kinds of hate crimes and their collateral impact that they have on the communities that they hurt. And that's Attorney General Merrick Garland speaking earlier today. And U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who often speaks of her Catholic faith, can no longer take communion because she supports abortion rights and also publicly invokes her Catholic faith. That's according to the Archbishop of San Francisco in a letter released today. Archbishop Salvatore Cordolone said in an open letter addressed to Pelosi and in another directed toward the faithful that Pelosi's position on abortion has become only more extreme over the years, especially in the last few months. Pelosi's office didn't immediately respond to a request for comment. The archbishop's decision comes after the leak earlier this month of a draft Supreme Court opinion indicating the top court would strike down the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision that legalized abortion nationwide. Cordelone said Pelosi had not responded to his request to meet in the months since she pledged to codify abortion protections in federal law after lawmakers in conservative states passed near-total bans on abortions at the, Saint, at the state level. In his letter to the faithful, Cordeloni wrote that my action here is purely pastoral, not political. He says, Speaker Pelosi remains our sister in Christ. Her advocacy for the care of the poor and vulnerable elicits my admiration. And we spoke, WBAI spoke earlier today with Andrea Miller. She's the president of the National Institute for Reproductive Health. She says that the laws that uh, the the looming Supreme Court decision that might overturn Roe v. Wade is a very serious event that marks a watershed in American politics. And what the leaked Supreme Court draft opinion in the Mississippi abortion ban case demonstrated is that this is real. This is not hyperbole. This is not a dress rehearsal. This is this is this is real life. And all you have to do is look at what's already happened in Texas, where abortion's been effectively banned for almost nine months now. And I believe that the leaked draft opinion has really put a fine point on what we've been warning has been coming. And I have seen just tremendous awakening around the country of people shocked and outraged and coming out into the streets and demanding that their elected officials do something to protect abortion access and to address the needs that are going to be quite significant and the potential harm that is coming. Herbal abortions. Is that a realistic approach to this? People have been managing their pregnancies and being helped to manage their pregnancies, whether abortion has been legal or illegal 
since the beginning of time, frankly. There's still the need, and we believe it's critical to make sure that there's clinical abortion care available for those for whom that is the better option for them. And it's important to make sure that we're clear that this should not be considered clandestine. This should be considered what we as a society owe to people who get pregnant. Something that used to be an absolute right that women had, now clandestine, that says a lot right there. The reality is that the future we are facing, when you think about the fact that we may have almost half the states very quickly ban abortion, what that means is that if you are in that state and you are someone who can become pregnant or you are in a relationship with someone who can become pregnant or you are a family member of someone who can become pregnant, your life is suddenly very different. And the choices that are before you, the options that are available, the possibilities for your family in your future, not just for that immediate question of whether and when to have a child or have another child, since the majority of people who have abortions are parents, but also the economic circumstances, the financial stability, the job prospects, the educational prospects, and then think about the impact on the community and the society at large. Janet Yellen was just talking about the decline in GDP that we can expect if you suddenly have roughly half the workforce who are now in a position of not being able to chart their futures and control their fertility. I mean, it's a radical transformation. We need to be aware of that, and that's why it's so important for people to act, because there is a lot that we can do to address the fact that we have a failure of the federal government, the Supreme Court, and so far the Congress have failed to safeguard our basic freedoms and have refused to create a more equitable playing field for people who need abortion care to really try to anticipate and at least create as many safeguards and as much expansion of care and support for those trying to get care as possible in the states where it will continue to be legal. No one should have to travel hundreds, if not thousands of miles. No one should have to feel that they might have to engage in a manner that is clandestine, even if it might be safe. Steve Bannon has said many times it's worth a contraction of the economy and people having to work harder and have less in America to keep immigrants out and have a lesser economy in order to preserve our soul as a nation. Ultimately, this is about power and it's about control, which is the reason that the same people who are trying to ban abortion, the same same conservative elected officials that are trying to ban abortion are also engaged in voter suppression, are also engaged in attacks on trans people and LGBTQ rights, are the same people who refuse to ensure that health care is available to everyone who don't believe in supporting child care. It's a very small minority in this country that has seized some of the critical levers of government in an anti-democratic move. We will not stand for it. That is Andrea Miller. She's a president of the National Institute for Reproductive Health. And finally, in the widely watched defamation lawsuit brought by actor Johnny Depp against his former wife, Amber Heard, Depp's attorney zeroed in on Heard's promise to donate her $7 million settlement from Depp to the ACLU and a children's hospital. It was an awkward moment as Heard told Depp's lawyer, Camille Vasquez, she hadn't given the money yet, despite more than 13 months that had passed, but it was pledged. Today, Ms. Heard, you still haven't donated the $7 million divorce settlement to charity. Isn't that right? Incorrect. I pledged the entirety no, of Ms. the settlement, Heard, $7 million to question. charity, and I, I Heard, intend to fulfill Heard, those obligations. Heard, that's not my question. Please what try was to question? answer my question. Sitting here today, 
you have not donated the seven million dollars donated not pledged donated the seven million dollars divorce settlement to charity i use pledge and donation synonymous with one another they, but i don't miss heard i don't use it synonymously that's how donations are paid miss heard respectfully that's not my question as of today you have not paid $3.5 million of your own money to the ACLU. Yes or no? I have not yet. And as of today, you have not paid $3.5 million of your own money to the Children's Hospital of Los Angeles, correct? I have not yet. Johnny sued me. So as of today, you have not donated, paid $7 million of your divorce settlement to charity, right? I have not been able to fulfill those book, uh, those uh, obligations yet. Amber Heard being cross-examined by Johnny Depp's lawyer, Camille Vasquez. Lawyers say Heard could be prosecuted for perjury if she doesn't pay the $7 million. And that's some of the news for Friday, May 20th, 2022. The news was produced with Linda Perry. Our engineer is Reggie Johnson. From New York City, I'm Paul Durienzo. Thanks for listening.